Welcome to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast, a podcast where we bring on multifamily investors and discuss real estate and their journeys to financial freedom. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Kerwin Donis. It was an absolute honor to speak with Matt Faircloth. Matt wrote an amazing book on raising capital, which he goes into during our conversation. Matt was also an open book and gave away some great tips on how to raise capital and much more. You'll want to stick around till the end to find out all the tips that have enabled him to build a portfolio of over 1,150 units. Here we go. Thank you for tuning into the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my partners and brothers, Kerwin and Kenneth Donis. Today on the show, we'll be having Matt Faircloth on the show. Matt, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Absolutely, man. So um, let's see, 2003, a lovely young lady named Elizabeth and she put a copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad in my hand, and that got me uh, tuned to the possibility of building wealth, tuned to the possibility of just living life a little bit differently, tuned to the possibility of um, creating more for myself by not trading hours for dollars, but by creating assets that would pay me forever. Uh, so I bought a single family home and moved into it, rented out two, rented out the other two rooms to two buddies of mine to a three bedroom, two bath and had a full-time job and uh, was making, was living there for free and making 60 bucks a month in cash flow uh, as well. That was my first rental property. Uh, I then married that young lady that put Rich Dad Poor Dad in my hand, which was, you know, a good move on my part. I call that marrying up. If you marry, a, you know, if a woman puts puts a Rich Dad Poor Dad in your hand, you should definitely marry her, right? So um, we got married and started my job and formed the DeRosa Group, our, our rental company. And fast forward through a great recession, through a bubble bursting, through all kinds of different uh, changes in the marketplace. Um, have, have done about four dozen fix and flips over our career. We've done some wholesale deals. We went an office building. We bought multiple apartment complexes in multiple states. Um, and uh, we currently sit on around 1,150 units that we've syndicated. And we're the lead syndicator. We're, we're you know, the operators of as well. And, um, you know, we're, we're constantly growing and expanding. So, and I I was lucky enough to capture a lot of my story in my book. That's a Amazon bestseller, bigger pockets published, uh, raising private capital. Yeah. That's awesome, Matt. And I know that you mentioned rich dad, poor dad was the first book that kind of got you into this real estate journey. Uh, we actually had the opportunity to meet Robert Kiyosaki at a real estate event with the real estate guys a few weeks ago. Awesome. And, and, and we read that same book. So it kind of sparked our journey as well. Uh, you said that your first deal was a house hack with some roommates. Um, after that, do you mind kind of going into that step-by-step guide? If, if someone's looking back, ha- I have a lot of people that are young and they're looking to get in um, or they're just looking to invest passively in a deal to, to kind of get into real estate. What would you say is the best way for someone who's new to the space to get in? Would you say that's more so it's passive? Or? Absolutely. Is a house hack. No, no. Somebody that's looking to get into the space should not. That if, if you want to be a syndicator yourself, 
first thing you got to do, uh, or just a real estate owner, is the first thing you got to do is get your own personal financial house in order. So do your own budgets, get your own, get a true handle on your own expenses, and then try and reduce those expenses through a real estate investment, right? So go out and buy a house hack. Go and buy a duplex, triplex, quadruplex. Um, if you're married, if your spouse is open to that, you know, cause some, you know, spend some that it's going to get you a lot closer to your goals if you do it. Uh, so I would highly recommend, uh, a house hack as the first move that any first real estate investor make because not just because it cuts your teeth on landlording. It does. Um, but it also will take your monthly nut from whatever it is. So let's just say it's 7,000 a month or 6,000 a month to keep your trains running on time personally, right? Whatever your personal expenses are, you will cut that maybe even by a third or in half or whatever by having a tenant contribute to it. So that means that if you're paying 6,000 a month, maybe you can get it down to 3,000 a month. And that means you can get out of the rat race by by just by making the hurdle rate that you need to get out of the rat race that much lower, right? So regardless of what philosophy you are, if you're part of the fire movement, you want to, you know, financial, you know, financial independence, retire early, fine. You can retire early by dropping your expense. You can quit your job and live on less money uh, full, and be a real estate investor full time because of a house hack. So it's by far the first move uh, that, that folks should do. Um, some people invest, is to do a passive investment first. If you want to get involved in the real estate space and you want to bear witness, I mean, I have many, many people that have invested with me that want to watch how we do what we do so that they can go out and do what we do on their own which I tell people you should, that's a good idea too, but you should not be doing that with your own personal cash. If you're working and you have an IRA or retirement account, put that IRA into a syndication with a syndicator you like and respect. Just make sure that they're transparent and make sure that they're willing to expose you to some of their secret sauce by being one of their investors. So I don't think that you can passively invest your way to freedom unless you've got an enormous egg that you want to put to work. Um, you're gonna have to be active. You have to be active so you can go passive. Yeah. So, so you think uh, kind of having an active role as well as a passive role is the best way for someone that is looking to leave their W two? Uh, is is the best way for them to do that? Because I know a lot of people, uh, they don't obviously have a lot of capital sitting around to just passively invest. So, are you are you saying that one of the best ways to reach financial freedom or to reach their financial goals is to one take on an active role and then when you can passively invest? I can't. That's what I would recommend. I mean, first, and by the way, go back to the house hack thing. If you don't have a whole lot of cash, house hack is another reason why you want to look into it is because it's a federally backed program that allows you to lay down like 5% and you can get the seller to kick in some seller assist to pay your closing costs as well. Now, I believe that if you don't have a lot of capital, you need to have a active thing that generates cash that's above and beyond your expenses. Drop those expenses down so you can make, you can take that residual of two, 3,000 a month or something like that and pump it into something passive. But you've got to have an active vehicle that you can roll back into real estate. Now, maybe that active vehicle is syndicating. Maybe because syndication is active. Don't be BSing yourself and make you think syndicate, the syndicator is passive. They're not. The syndicator is, in, is the active part of the passive equation. So they're operating, they're browbeating the property manager, they are manifesting the business plan, all that. That's an activity, but that's a well-rewarded activity. You get upside in the equity of the property, you get fees, let's, let's say that. 
Um, and you can take those fees and all those things and put them back into either your deals or somebody else's deal as an LP investment. You could be a wholesaler. You could be a realtor. You could, you could be around the space of real estate. You don't have to like be an actuary and do something that's completely different than real estate investing. You can be around the space, but you need to have an active vehicle that produces a good bit more than your, your expenses so that you can roll that over into passive. Yeah. But I did want to ask you, so uh, my brothers and I, and most, of course, real estate investors know the power of OPM or other people's money, but do you mind kind of explaining for our audience why uh, raising capital in the real estate space is so important? Well, it goes back to time, uh, Kenneth. Good question. It goes back to time, right? Um, we have time. Four of us have time, right? I mean, you know, once it's 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, right? So we all got time. We're not like bogged down in the day jobs or we have at least enough control of our time that we can put it towards awesome podcasts or finding deals or whatever it is. Most of America does not have time, right? And they're willing because they don't want to just trust Wall Street to give them, even if they, I'm not going to bash Wall Street, but it should not be the only vehicle that people are in to achieve their financial goals. And they don't have the time that we do uh, to put forth, to find deals, to find operations, to talk to property managers, you know, whatever it is. They're working nine till six, nine till seven every day. Property manager's not going to, you know, they went home at five. You know, if you need to call and browbeat to property manager, you need to make business time activity, right? And most of the people you need to deal with, if you got a day job and you want to side hustle real estate, they're not around anymore. And so you either need to find a carve out some time in your day job to do some real estate investing, or you're going to have to invest passively with people like us. And so that's what we offer. I offer time experience, know-how contacts, market knowledge, a hustle. I offer all that with a, with a bow on it in exchange for somebody's money. My book talks about the deal provider. That's what the deal provider brings to the table. Most importantly, it's time right? Um, along with everything else that's in that box. And the cash provider really just brings trust and cash. Uh, and with that cash and with everything the deal provider brings to the table, you got a happy marriage. Yeah. And do you mind kind of going into why you started raising capital in the first place? And I'm, I'm sorry, how you went about raising capital on your, uh, on your first? Well, why is easy, man? I want to do big yeah. deals, you know? Yeah. I, I, I was not able or not willing to just use all my funds to go and write checks for apartment buildings and everything like that. Uh, so I wanted to offer those opportunities to others, expose the risk, and also do deals that my personal checkbook at the time wouldn't allow me to do. So that's the reason why I raised capital is so I can bring in money partners to give me exposure to bigger opportunities. How is different, right? So what I, I've been diligent in my career and I was a, say, a traveling sales rep for seven years and uh, I, I've done, I've, you know, networked and joined B&I groups and everything like that. Um, I think that it's important to capture every contact you ever met. I used to, I mean, this is like dating myself. Any you ever met, you know, and I know y'all are too cool for business cards these days. Now you just text them on your cell phone, you know, friend them on, friend them on, on social media to get their information, right? But however you get people, however you meet people and collect their data, don't just like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Get their data, get their information, harvest their contact information so that you can build a list, right? I took that big old drawer full of business cards and uploaded them all into a, um, but like a email service so I could send out newsletters. Right. Um, 
however you touch your base, do it on a regular basis. And that's, that was how I went about it in the beginning. And I started small, you know, and I just found people that were small size, friends and family in the beginning and did small deals. My first passive investment was a $30,000 loan from my wife's father, right? Um, you can start that big. It doesn't have to be a $5 million equity raise for your first deal. It doesn't have to be that big. There's nothing in the SEC code that says that a syndication has to be in the millions, right? So start small. So I did small, you know, onesie twosies, man. I know it's not sexy, but I did little deals, duplexes, that kind of shit, you know? This is what I did to get going. Um, and, but what it did was it developed me a track record. So I don't have to go hitch my wagon to some juggernauts, you know, guy buying 30, $40 million deals and be like, Hey, I just raised a hundred grand for that guy's $30 million project. Right. I didn't have to do that. I could take that hundred grand and do my own deal, you know, borrow it, equity, whatever. But it was, I did an equity deal on two single family homes, 50 grand in Trenton, New Jersey. It worked. It happened. I got paid. He got paid. Everybody was happy. You know, <laughs> then I broadcast that to that newsletter base that I broadcast the deal I did for two duplexes and a beater storefront that we bought with some private capital. But I got 50% ownership instead of 0.7% ownership, right? You know, and I worked my way up and I did bigger and bigger deals, but I grew fast, right? So duplexes, triplexes in the beginning, then we, then we raised 300K and bought 19 units. Hmm, now you have a conversation. And we did the Burr strategy on the 19 units, right? We bought them, bought a few of them free and clear, built them out, then refinanced them, then bought a 10 unit, right? Then expanded, 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 right? We uh, then raised a half a million and bought an 18 unit apartment building, then sold that and did a 1031 exchange, right? So we up, 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 up. So we worked our way up. That's but I recommend, I mean, if you want to do the bigger deals and everything like that, that's awesome. But it's, I believe that's actually a longer road than you will be if you start small and work your way up um, in, in uh, smaller deals and then do bigger deal, bigger deal, bigger deal. A stretch goal is double your portfolio every time. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and in a lot of your content, I've seen uh, you stress the importance of before a passive investor, you know, invest with any syndicator or any investor. Um, to understand what their long-term goals are. Do mm -hmm. you mind kind of going into why that's important? Well, yeah, man. If I'm uh, syndicating, you know, I, there's syndicators I've talked to, I won't name any names, but they'll be like, I don't like syndications. I'm only doing it because it's a vehicle. And I'm like, I don't like that. I don't think this is something I want to do forever. There's a syndicator out there saying that stuff, man. You know, like, God bless. He does good deals, you know. But I think he's being a little flip and a little facetious and everything like that. But he's also, um, you know, out there broadcasting. He doesn't like doing deals, you know, um, because he's only doing it as a vehicle. I would not invest with somebody like that because it's like I want somebody who loves this stuff, man. You know, as if you want to be in and out of a deal in two to three years and your syndicator has a 10-year horizon for the deal you're getting in, well, a timeline doesn't work. And also if your syndicator seems to have a bunch of other side hustles going on, I've seen syndicators that are also mortgage brokers that are also realtors that have like that own construction companies that have four or five other things going on. Well, what if one of those things takes off and you need to put more time into it than your syndication business is going to have time that it can give to other things, right? So I would make sure that somebody's goals and time alignments meet 
that they point in the same direction that your investment needs to for as, as a passive investor. Yeah, I think that's very, uh, that's a good point. You know, just an uh, alignment of interest is always very important. Um, but just out of curiosity, if, if there was a passive investor that wanted to passively invest in, in a, a good sponsor and how could they vet them? Uh, it's tough, man. There's not like, you know, I've had, I've had a broker, he's a lazy broker, but he asked me like, Hey man, how do I get the list of all the syndicators in the U S and I was like, you lazy bastard. That, well, first <laughs> of all, it's a good idea. I wish that existed, you know, but, um, but it doesn't, right. There's not like syndicators or us. There's not like a white pages of syndicators or anything like that. <laughs> um, you know, and new syndicators show up every day, man, you know, like everybody, everybody, somebody drinks the Kool-Aid of syndications and loses their mind and decides they want to get into this business on a daily basis, right? So it changes. And people get out of the business on a daily basis. I've met people that have gotten out that don't do it anymore, right? So the best place to find syndicators, I would start, you know, and I'm not being paid to say this, but like bigger pockets, you know. Um, I would start there, maybe start with passives with people that do a lot of passive investing and say, hey, I'm, I'm and, and I would turn that around, Kenneth, as I would say, okay, I want to invest in, you know, I, I won't be like passe and be like everybody else because everybody wants to invest in, in Texas right now. So let's not use that as an example. Let's say I want to invest in, I don't know, the Pacific Northwest, right? There are syndicators that operate there. There are people that operate in the, the Southwest. There's people that operate in the Northeast. There's people syndicating deals in the Northeast of the United States. So wherever you want to be as, as, as an investor and, and drill down further, not, you know, not Concord, Massachusetts, maybe just Boston. I want to invest in deals in my backyard and that's where I live, right? Um, so um, I, I, I want to pick a market that, that is my target market. And then I'm going to go and find a, find a market that works. My, um, my, my point is, is that, uh, is that you want to find your markets first and your syndicator second. Yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense, right? You want to make sure that you're investing where, um, that's the most important thing. I, I, in my opinion, you're investing in the location more so than the asset itself, right? So you just want to make sure that you do that and, and pick a market that makes sense for you. So to kind of go into your book, uh, I see the, the picture on the wall. I'd love to kind of just learn, you know, why you, uh, thought it would be a good idea to write the book and kind of what the point is for anyone that hasn't heard of it. I'm um, to kind of go into the backstory of the book. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it, it's interesting because, uh, I didn't realize, I, I just, one of these things to speak, I, I kind of evolved into raising capital, right? Um, I didn't just go to go to raise money school. Um, but I think that don't get me wrong. I believe that you either have the ability to network and sell and explain complicated things like real estate investing, or you don't, you know? Um, and I think that there are people that should be raising money for deals and there's people that should be operating the deals There's people should be underwriting the deals and you should chain people to their cubicle and not let them out for their cubicle until they find a way to make the numbers work. I'm not that person, right? There are different personalities that it takes to make real estate investing function properly, right? Raising money is one of those things that you need to know how to, that, that somebody needs to know how to do on a team. So I do not believe that everybody should be raising money. It's just one of my God-given talents, man. So I just want to know how to, it's, I'm good at it, right? So I evolved into it. And I took a lot of my personal story of how I evolved into raising capital, things I learned, times I got my teeth kicked into, right? And I put it in that book. 
you know, I was approached by bigger pockets to say, Hey, we'll have you to say, and I've been, I've been writing articles for them, but on the podcast a bunch of times, um, and had been one of their, you know, talking heads, if you will, uh, contributors is a nice way to say it. You know, they don't want to call us talking heads, but contributors. Um, and, uh, they said, we want you to write a book. I said, okay, great. Here's two book pitches. These are books I'd love to write. And they said, no, we hate those books. And I said, well, the only thing we could do is maybe a book on how to raise money because I've raised a lot of money for real estate. And they said, yes, we love that book. So, um, the, uh, they, that's, they, they jumped on it and I said, okay, great. So I just wrote uh, a script and didn't realize how hard writing a book was going to be. Um, I figured out oh, how hard could it be? I'll just write it over, write it in my spare time. It's like a second, it was like a second job, you know, it, it was, it, it was awful at times, but I got it done and I put my heart and soul into it. It's like a third child that I have. I have two young children and then I have that book, uh, that are my grateful that they gave me the crack at the, 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 the crack at the plate to, to create it. And, and that's, uh, it's got a lot of my story and a lot of how to, and a lot of, a lot of how to shake your own network to create equity for any size real estate deal, big or small. That's awesome. And, I know you mentioned that uh, some people have the natural talent to raise capital, others have the talent to underwrite deals, and others have uh, the talent to find deals. Um, would you recommend that every uh, like syndication team have a person in each of those spots, or um, should teams focus on either raising capital and then team up with other groups that might be able to find deals? Yeah, man. I, I think there's four seats. There's four active. There's four, if you look at any active syndicate, I've talked to like the big dogs, like you know Joe Fairless or whatever. And they have those four seats. It's pretty much the same seats on, on his bus. Now he's probably got more people sitting in the seat but um, than, uh, than other companies do, right? But you can need somebody finding the deal. You need somebody manage under every market in the U.S. And then the underwriter who knows how to crunch numbers, that's like the spreadsheet junkie and just bleeds spreadsheets and is a lot more patient. Um, then you need someone who's able to raise the money. Um, and perhaps the raise the money part is also a balance sheet conversation that comes in about like, well, we need got to buy this $10 million property. Well, we don't have the net worth. So the money person is also responsible for finding a net worth balance sheet that might get you qualified for the debt. Right. Then the other side of it is the person. Cause with, with all that, what do you have? You got a deal, you got a business plan that makes sense and you got money to make it work but with all that is is a is a train wreck without somebody to drive it right uh and so you need a driver uh person to crack the whip on the property manager to implement that business plan and bring the profit to fruition right and that's your asset manager so you need all four of those things and i think that that to be active in real estate syndications you got to be all four of those things and i think a lot of people think that they do and a lot of people try to go find deals underwriting themselves raise the money and then asset manage yeah you might make more money that way but you're not going to excel those that i know that are very successful have different people different personalities that do all four of those things yeah that's awesome i appreciate you touching on that and to kind of go into our express round, uh, I'd love to just ask you a few questions um, and you can tie your answer towards business as well as personal life. Mm -hmm. um, first question, what is the biggest mistake that you've made in real estate and mm -hmm. what lesson did it teach you? Yeah, a big one, man. Read my book. Um, uh, there was a point in our career that we wired, we sent money to a 1031 exchange uh, custodian that was running a Ponzi scheme. And so he stole three quarters of a million 
and we vetted them, but I just, I still own that mistake because it happened under my watch, right? Uh, he also stole six and a half million from other people too. So it wasn't just Matt Faircloth and the DeRosa group he stole from, but he stole from a ton of people. Um, what I learned from it is putting investors first because when that happened, I covered my investors and I gave them their, my equity in, 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 uh, in my deals to cover them for, for that plus and then some. And those investors are now going to make like a, a huge return on their money on, on my back uh, and that. But it, they, I, they're making that because I put them ahead of everybody else. Um, so that was that. And also, obviously, you got to vet, triple vet, quadruple vet. When, when big numbers get involved, don't, um, don't take anything for granted or take what you read online or conversations you have with people um, as, uh, as, as assumed as, as true. You, you got you to gotta vet and further vet. Yeah, wow. Um, and what is your favorite book? Uh, do you have one that you might tie into your business life as well as your personal life? Oh boy. Um, I mean, I mean, you probably hear the time of rich dad, poor dad's a life changing book. Um, you know, I, I love a lot of books that are out there. I think that the, the one that doesn't get enough, uh, focus, uh, that Robert wrote um, was the ESBI, the cash flow quadrant, the ESBI, because I think that that's really the, the roadmap to getting to financial freedom. And we all start out as, as, um, as employees. Um, we end up necessarily having to be self-employed, quit your job, go off on your own. Then you become a business builder. And then we all want to eventually go passive and become I-quadrant, right? So um, I, I think that the, that book and describing how to get from each one and what each one means is, is a phenomenal book that really opened up my eyes just as much as Rich Dad Poor Dad did. Awesome. Uh, do you have a best piece of advice that you would give our audience or a piece of advice that you've received that has helped you the most? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that for any, any, I, I think that um, what's spoken to me over the years is three pieces of advice, right? Um, Cause just this bill, this business can hit back really hard. I mean, you know, believe me, I was a rough day when I lost three quarters of a million dollars. Right. So this business can smack back really, really hard. It's not all cocktails and Mai Tais on the beach. It's not all what you see on Instagram. Right. It's not all that. There's a lot of dark moments where you're like, shit, man, did I make the right choice? This business sucks. Well, what I tell, what I have told myself in those moments and what I tell, what I'll tell other people is when they get into this thing is that you have to do three things. Number one, uh, agree to not quit to yourself when you get into real estate, that, that no matter what, I'm just not going to quit. I'm going to keep moving. And I've had plenty of opportunities to quit in my, my 15 years of choosing that, you know what, I'll push through it and I will get through the dark time and find uh, the light and find a better time and find a better moment because just the business kind of grows like this, you know, bad. And then you go and then you go up, right? So you got to get through the, got to get through the dark to get to the light, right? And by not quitting, that's how you succeed. The only reason that people lose is because they quit. That's it. You know, if you keep going, you're going to win eventually, you know? Um, and that leads me to my second point. My second point is just keep moving and it, it, it's stagnancy and like, oh, I'll wait for COVID to be over or I'll wait for the market to crash or I will wait until that seller right there sells me their property. No, just waiting is never a, a, the right move, I don't think. It just, you can wait, but you better go do something else while you're waiting, you know, and waiting for the market to crash, waiting for COVID to be over, waiting for whatever is, is not going to create success and put it on the back burner, 
get yourself into another thing that does have momentum, right? Um, and the third thing is that I tell myself, and I, I still struggle with this one, is don't get your emotions involved because real estate is supposed to be a boring, straightforward, nuts and bolts, numbers game. The way, when you get your emotions involved, you either get yourself, you either burn a bridge, you overpay, you, you undersell, whatever it is, um, you know, if your emotions get involved in this business, um, you will probably make a bad choice that, that will cost you in the long run. So it's supposed to be a very cut and dry, black and white, emotionless business. And once you get those emotions involved is, is when you start to cloud your vision. So, yeah, that's great. Um, and, and my last question, what is the best way for people in our audience that want to get in touch with you? for them to reach out to you on? Um, and is there any uh, resource that you might want to give them? Sure. They can go to my website, derosagroup.com, to invest with us, to um, get to know us, whatever you want to do, to go to our website. Uh, that's one thing. Now, resources, they should go uh, and pull out their handy-dandy cell phone and uh, send a message to uh, 66866 and just send the word DeRosa. Just the word DeRosa. It doesn't have to be capital or not to 66866. Um, and you will get a response. Put your email address in after it'll respond to you. Put your email address in and you'll get a big bunch of free resources, including all of our COVID protocols that we did during COVID. Uh, talks that I did for Bigger Pockets conference. You get those copies of those presentations. Pretty cool. Um, and uh, you can get a few exclusive video packages that we had for sale for a lot of money, but I'm giving for free uh, by texting the word DeRosa to 66866. Awesome. Well, we really do appreciate your time, Matt. It's been a pleasure and uh, I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you, Kerwin. Thanks, nice man. to meet you guys. Thanks for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you got value from this episode, we'd appreciate a good rating on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune into our next episode. Until next time, take care guys.